0: Well, here we are again. Good evening. And, uh, been a little more than 24 hours, <laughs> <laughs> never know how you guys are going to respond. Never.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, it has been great. It really has over the last uh, 24 hours uh, to be able to sit with many of you and just to talk, get to know who you are, a little bit of your lives things you think about, things you don't think about, that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, thank you for your kindness and patience shown towards uh, my wife and me. Uh, One thing I probably should have said last night when we were together, and I meant to say it again this morning I forgot, Um, and I say this uh, because I know my wife Cho would want me to say this, uh, I do know this because we've had this discussion countless of times. Uh, but for those of you who do not know, uh, 14 years ago, I think so, 14 years ago, um, without getting to a bunch of details, in Dodge Province.
1: What's that? Get to details. No, 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 we don't have details right. <laughs> no, no. Around the fire, we can get to details.
0: Um, uh, but... 14 years ago, I believe, uh, in God's providence, my wife became ill, uh, could have killed her, God spared her life, but uh, in what was very much uh, life-changing for us and in many ways for for Luke and uh, our other children, um, it affected a part of my lovely bride's brain uh, that controls her short-term memory. Um, so her long-term memory is fine. She remembers everyone's birthdays that she grew up with and things like that, um, but as, as far as short-term. So if you happen to be sitting with us and we're talking and she asks you a question that she just asked you three minutes ago, that's the reason why. Uh, it's not that she's not listening or she doesn't care. It's just she has short-term uh, memory struggles. So appreciate your patience with that. And I know that she would want you to, to know that. So. I invite you to turn, if you're not there already, to Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. Make sure I'm in the right spot here. That doesn't look right. Yeah, it is. Okay. Two? Is that, is it? Two? Yeah. We have two in the version. Two. Why do I have? Oh, it is two. Yeah, I wrote it down. I'm like, wait, I'm looking at it here. I'm like, uh, I'm not ready to, per- to speak on that. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yes, it is chapter 2. Thank you. Um, some of you are looking at the title Free to Stop Trying. And I know what you're thinking, you're like, gee, this is it, this is the one I've been waiting for, this is a doctrine I can get behind, I'm going to take notes, I'm going to rip it out, I'm gonna, when I go home, I'm going to take my interview report card and show it to my parents, see, preacher said I can stop trying. Woo! Yeah, there we go, this word right here, is me. so hold your applause till the end, until you hear what we're talking about, because it may not be exactly what you're thinking. Uh, but yes, uh, Galatians 2, uh, and we really are going to focus largely on just one verse this evening, verse 20. Uh, again, probably very familiar to many of you, uh, a little different than what we've done in the first two sessions, because the first two we looked at what we call narratives, right? These were stories, uh, though they dealt with real individuals, they were stories. Where This is uh, teaching, right? what we call didactic yeah. teaching so maybe slightly different than what we've done up to this point. Uh, to set the context, because we always want to get at least the immediate context, and we can look at the larger context in a moment, we're going to back it up all the way to verse 15 and down to the end of uh, the, the chapter uh, so that we have the, the context going into this. Uh, so go ahead and stand up in honor of the Word of God. I will read this, we'll pray, and we'll see what the Lord has for us this evening. Paul, writing to the believers in Galatia, he writes, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then to be minister of sin? May it never be. For if we rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have, and this is the verse that we're going to focus on, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Lord, we come to you, this evening indeed singing your praises for you alone deserve our worship. We thank you that you have given us voices. You have put you have put air in our lungs that we might proclaim your excellencies. And now we submit ourselves under your authority under your word Lord, we pray that we are predisposed, ready to act in obedience to that which you reveal to us, knowing that we do so as those who follow you, as those who have been freed from the bondage of sin and now free, Lord, to follow you. We ask for your Spirit's work in our lives this evening, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you have a seat? A little dehydrated. When I uh, was growing up, this may not come as any surprise to some of you. Uh, I grew up as a Batman fan yeah thank you thank you thank you still somewhat of a batman fan and uh i mean there's if i had a picture if i knew where it was we'd put it up there probably in a landfill somewhere now but there's even a picture of me about jericho's age on a like a little tricycle with a shirt with Batman on it. Already at that age, I was a Batman fan. And as hard as I've tried with my grandson, I feel like a failure. It's a Spider Man fan. It's not, it's not even the right universe. Be that as it may, God's grace is sufficient. But I grew up as a Batman fan, as, right, what I grew up was with the Adam West, you know, Batman. And even as a, as a kid, a little bit older than Jericho, uh, I've got a brother who, well, I've got a, I still do. Uh, I've got a couple of brothers and sisters, but a brother that we shared a room together for probably the first, I don't know, 15 years of our lives. And we had bunk beds when we were kids. And we loved Batman. We wanted to be Batman. So uh, for some reason, we had a leather whip.
1: Uh, leather, I don't know what that was all about. Uh,
0: but we thought it would be brilliant to tie one end of the the whip to the top of the, the bunk bed, and we've got a bat pole. And we discovered something. We discovered gravity. <laughs> Wham! Because you don't go head first down a bat pole. Don't do that. That's bad. Uh, especially when the whip comes off, and you discover things that you didn't want to discover. So when I had heard, I would waited for a decade. That's not exaggeration. There had been talks that they were going to be making a new Batman since like 1980, they were talking about this. So when I heard that they were coming out in 1989 with a new Batman, a serious Batman, right? I was thrilled. It was funny, as we were driving up here yesterday, we were coming through V-Town, you know, Vallejo the Hood, as we were coming through, Uh, I was pointing out to one, because that's when we were first married. That's where we first lived. And as we were coming, I said, there used to be past the the Target. There was a theater up there. That was the new theater. I said, that's where we went and saw Batman back in 1989. The reason why that was because that was the only movie to this day that I ever got in line early to see. I had to beat the crowds. So I got there at 10 a.m. And was wondering What's wrong with these people? Why aren't there other people here at 10 a.m.? No one else would have till 5 p.m. But I was the first one. So I'm, I'm somewhat of a, a Batman fan. I was so excited um, to see this movie. And in this, one of the I believe one of the better jokers, uh, Jack Nicholson, uh Ledger's overrated. I lost half of you right there. There is a line in there, that, that just is so good, if you know the story, right? Joker, well, before he's Joker, right? Uh, but he falls into some acid, and they think he's dead. Don't want to spoil it for you, but but that's what creates, right, his distortion in his face. And as he's talking with some other people, uh, he, he comes up with this great line. He says, I've been dead once already. It's very liberating. I thought, that is so profound. I've been dead once already. In a sense, he's been freed. He says, it's so liberating. A death of an old self gives gives rise to a new self. Or to put it another way, where there is death of that which once had a hold on us, it frees us. Once that, dead, that death has taken place, it could be the death of protecting your image. When that's gone, right? You no longer have to. The death of protecting prosperity when that's been taken from you. Well, I don't have to pursue that anymore, and everything that's attached with it. The death of protecting comfort. We live in, most of us live very comfortable lives. Most of us do. And there are things we do to make sure that that is not harmed. And sometimes God takes that from us. as oh, we're going, to, we're going to hit the reset button for you. We mentioned the rich young ruler this morning from Luke 18, right? The one who comes to, to Christ and wants to believe every, he's got everything going for him. He's a perfect example of one, uh, of when that doesn't happen he was so worried about protecting this life that he had and that he loved so much that he couldn't come to the point his heart was not in that place where he could say yeah I will deny all this I don't need this stuff because there's a new life in following this Jesus so this evening I want us to to consider just two characteristics of our new life that paul's going to talk about he says he's got this new life in christ and how it frees us to stop trying now that's that stop trying phrase I, i trust will make sense to us before we leave here this evening because i have a feeling it may not be what you think it is but i could be wrong so two characteristics of our new life in christ and how it frees us from stop trying the first is this in christ This is kind of the the, the theology behind this. In Christ, the futile... This is going to be very wordy, so I'll say it like three times. The futile and frustrating attempts to earn God's favor are put to death. I'm going to say that again. In Christ, if you are in Christ, if you have been freed indeed, the futile and frustrating attempts... To earn God's favor are put to death. Do I need to say that one more time? Okay, not a problem. The futile and frustrating attempts to earn God's favor are put to death. Quick background to, to Galatians. Now we're going to be talking about some Mature themes here tonight, so I'm going to trust that you're more mature than the sixth graders I teach during the school year. But Galatia uh, was uh, a city, a town within the Roman Empire that was, when it was settled, when it was first established, it was known as the region, Galatia itself, it's actually a region of slaves and eunuchs. Slaves and eunuchs is what it was known for. Seems like you're going to be known for something else other than slaves and eunuchs. For those of you who don't know what a eunuch is, I, I, I feel like I need to explain just very briefly.
1: <laughs>
0: this is why we're not using a PowerPoint tonight. <laughs> uh, eunuchs are those who have been castrated, males who have Had their maleness removed one way or the other, many of them on purpose, so that they might serve in a position, uh, a particular position that was actually a fairly lucrative way of serving people of wealth and so forth. So this is what this region's known as. Now, the reason why I mention this is because Paul's going to pick up on that, and he's going to use language like he does in just about every letter he writes. He says, I'm going to zero in on something that those people know what I'm talking about. Philippians, it was uh, largely former soldiers. So guess what? He uses a lot of military terms in Philippians. Here, he knows there's a lot of people now that have some association with slaves and or eunuchs. And he's going to use that imagery throughout. And he's this this whole letter is he is uh, refuting. If you want to go to Galatians one, because it's important for us to understand the background before we jump all the way to three here, uh, is this so-called different gospel. Beginning in verse six, he says, "I'm amazed." that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now he's going to go on from there. And it's, you know, it's it's something that Paul... (laughs) If you read his other letters, almost every one of them, even to the people in Corinth who was up terrible I mean, they had some major problems. He had some nice things to say about the people in Corinth. So you kind of expect him to find something nice. Not the only thing he, nice, he says in verse 3 when he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not even about them. What's the first thing he has to say about them? I'm amazed that you're so quickly leaving the gospel. Really, people? He doesn't even have anything nice to say about them because he's really fired up. And we'll find out why in just a moment. Uh, The the basic essence of this different gospel, it's not a gospel of grace. It's not a gospel of mercy. It's not a, a gospel saying, come by faith to Christ and Christ alone, and you will be saved. It was going back under law to people who had already confessed Christ. They're saying, yes, Christ plus Christ is a good starting place but it's not he's not enough and when we get to verse 20 as I said as we're going to focus on that you'll notice he uses and he actually actually does in some of the previous verses the word I I when he talks about the I in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The I who has been crucified there, I'm going to use a little bit of a, I guess a doctrinal word. He is speaking of what we would call a self-vindicator. Someone who, when you are vindicated, That means you are shown to be, right, you're acceptable at this point. You have earned something. And when he says the I who has been crucified with Christ is the Paul saying that self-vindicator that I was prior to faith and grace and mercy. The one who was trying to earn his way to God has been crucified with Christ. He's gone. He's dead. Because there's no earning my way to God on my own. Paul had a pretty good pedigree. You're not familiar with it. Let me lay it out for you. As he writes to the Philippians in chapter 3, I'll read it for you. Philippians 3, beginning of verse 2. He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship... Uh, worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. He says, oh, you want, you want to duke it out? You think you guys, let me tell you what I've got. If we wanted to go that route. He only sets it up so he can say, but we're not going down that route. Mm-hmm. If anyone else has in mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far, far more. Circumcised the eighth day, which was, right, part of the... The rules of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, which simply meant I can trace my lineage back eight generations minimum, as to the law, a Pharisee, the conservative branch of the Jewish leaders, as to zeal for God, a persecutor of the church, right, that's why he was going around killing Christians because he thought they're bad people. They're against God. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things that I could have checked off the box, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. The word he says they're rubbish, Is putting it very mildly. It's the the Greek word skubala, which basically means fecal matter. Stuff we don't want to step in. He says, all the things I could have checked off, that's their value. Why? So that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through uh, through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of, of faith. He had a pretty good pedigree, humanly speaking. And he says, all of that, all that that everyone else would have said, wow, if anyone has got a chance and a shot at getting in on their own merit, it's that Paul guy. He says, rubbish, scuba. It's poop. It's no good. Martin Luther, the, the German theologian, not the civil rights leader. I want make sure we're talking about the right guy here. Uh, his breakthrough came from uh, when he was studying Romans chapter 1. I'll read that for you. Romans chapter 1, and his really his introduction, says this. And again, something you're probably familiar with. He says, for I am not ashamed. He said, hey, I can't wait to see you guys there in Rome. Why? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now here, verse 17, this is his part he had a little issue with. For in it, the righteousness of God, and that one little word of is what threw him. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live live by faith. He had a real hang-up on that, the righteousness of God. That when I look at the gospel, and he was studying Romans, he says, righteousness of God, why is that to make me feel good? Someone once asked him, do you know? Do you love God? He says, love God, sometimes I hate him. And that's the reason why. Because when he read in the gospel, he see the righteousness of God, he took it, that little of, to mean God's righteousness. And he's saying, how does that help me? All that does is show me that I'm far less than that. I'm condemned. Why? I don't like that. And then he has his breakthrough. He realizes, no, wait, it's not that the gospel simply just shows me God's a holy God and you're not. No, he says, the gospel shows me that while I'm not, there's a righteousness that comes from God, that God gives us my faith in Jesus Christ it's not my own righteousness but one that is imputed to us from God it's of God it belongs to God that he gives to us and for him that was the breakthrough he said I was this is Luther I was a good monk and kept the rule of my order so strictly that I can say if ever a monk got to heaven by his monastic discipline that was me he said oh, I tried so hard And then his breakthrough, he says, this, that verse, when he finally understood it, this immediately made me feel as though I had been born again. And as though I had entered through open gates into paradise itself, from that moment, the whole face of scripture appeared to me in a different light. In other words, when I understand that it's by grace and not by my works, oh my goodness, The Bible has a totally different meaning. It's not just condemnation, condemnation. But I've been freed from my condemnation. And he finally understands that. He's saying this is a gospel of grace. And that is what Paul is saying back in Galatians uh, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live. It's no longer that self-vindicator, the one working his way up on his own his own merit but rather fully it's a gospel of grace so first in Christ the futile frustrating attempts to earn God's favor put to death put to death and that's what we mean by right? stop trying and we're gonna unpack that a little bit more secondly this is where we're gonna spend most of our time this evening in Christ this one's nice and short for you you are alive and free In Christ, you are alive and free. I know, we've been talking about that so far all week. We're going to keep talking about it. So I don't want to spend a lot of time actually unpacking that, that you're alive and free, because we've been talking about that. We've said it so many different ways. What I do want us to consider this evening, and really it's the second half of verse 20, is this. There's a problem with this, that you are alive and free. And here's the problem that many of us, most of us, I dare say all of us, will struggle with at some point in your Christian walk if you're a follower of Christ. We don't act like we are alive in Christ. That's the problem. We don't act like it. And there's a number of reasons why we don't act like it. There are hindrances to us being fully alive in Christ. Right? Paul says, "And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I believe there are three hindrances to being fully alive in Christ. All three, and we're going to outline these for you, all three resurrect, if you will, the old self-vindicator. Brings back to life even for the those who are following after Christ, the one who says, I gotta get back on the treadmill trying to earn my way back to God. The first one is what I'm calling God word, God word. A relationship as it faces God, and say, How could that possibly resurrect the self-vindicator? Let me let me put it this way. Let me start by posing a question. Posed by an author of a book called Surrender to Love, David Brenner. He asked this question, and, and when I was reading it, it stopped me in my tracks. Maybe it won't have the same effect with you, but oh my goodness, I just stopped and I had to think about this. It's a simple question, but I believe profound. Don't give your answer, this is not where you're participating freely but I do want you to think about it. I I, I want you to, maybe you even need to write down the answer privately because I want you to put down, I want you to think your first response. Don't overthink this. Imagine God thinking about you, not just people. Imagine God thinking about you. Here's the question. What do you assume God feels when you come to mind, imagine God thinking about you. What do you assume God feels when you come to mind? I think that is such a revealing question. Not to oversight because if you think about it too long, like, well, you know, I'll point to some things in Romans and Ephesians and no 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 what do you really believe God thinks when he thinks about you because I think most of us maybe not all the time maybe we're having a good day but I think far too often we think God while he's still our father he's standing there like this if I can say so without being blasphemous Maybe he's standing like this. Maybe he's shaking his head. I think that's how many of us think about God when he's thinking about us. Thinking, there he goes again. After all I've done for him, disappointed me again. I think that's what we think God thinks about us. And I'm here to tell you, God's love, God's love for you, if you are his child, God's love for you is neither diminished nor increased by your obedience or disobedience. Now, some of you have a hard time with that. You think that can't be right. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. Please stay with me but God's love for you is not diminished. He doesn't love you less because you had a bad day. And God's love for you does not increase because you had a good day. God's love for you is perfect. It is complete. It will not increase, it will not decrease, because of how you love him. This, my friends, is why you are free to stop trying. And by stop trying, what I mean is to try, you can stop trying to get God's love back on track for you. Because it's never gotten off track. It's the same love. It is the complete love. It is the perfect love. You can't increase it. So stop trying to increase it. Now, we're going to talk about some practical things in just a moment before you believe this can't be true. It's true. Look at the end of the verse. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The Christian who lives in bondage, as if they weren't free indeed, always calls into question the love of God. Because you were saying, Yes, I know, but do you know what I've done? No, I don't. But he does. According to Paul, he loved you and gave himself up for you. His love will not increase. It will not be diminished. He has perfect love for you but that is part of the problem with our relationship with our God and living freely and, and being able to live as if we are alive in Christ is because of we, we just can't accept for some reason that God would love us secondly we'll come, we're going to circle back and talk about some of the practical things on that I can see some of you still wrestling with it. That's fine. Wrestle with it. Please wrestle with it. Secondly, is outward, or we could just simply say others. Others are going to be like a stumbling block, if you will. Resurrect that, that old self-vindicator, the one who trying to earn their way back, their favor back with God. We're not talking about, and, and Paul is actually attacking something a little bit more serious we're not talking about someone trying to necessarily earn their salvation. I'm assuming, this is a huge assumption, that most of you who are following Christ, you, you've been taught well and you know, I can't lose my salvation if I'm truly saved. I realize there are people who are out there who will teach that, right? I mean, if you had a bad day today and today you die, you might not be with Christ. Mm-hmm. You blew it. Okay, I'm, I'm going to make the assumption most of you realize, know, if I'm in Christ, I'm secure. But we bring back that self-vindicator because we believe somehow we've diminished the love of God. And others don't help us in this. Because we want to live up to their expectations, their rules. Jump over, if you're still in Galatians, to chapter 6, verse 12. If I can look down my uh, right notes here. Yeah, that looks right. Uh, 12 through 16. This is the heart of what the issue was in Galatia. Thank goodness is not the issue now, but we we've in practical ways we've done it in a different different way. Look what he says. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, what they can do, try to make, uh, try to compel you to be circumcised. He wasn't using some oh, metaphor. He meant literally. He says they're saying you need to go back under Old Testament law. Yes, Jesus. They're not denying Jesus, but you have to do this other stuff too, and they want. You to do it so they feel better about themselves. Simply that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They're not going to leave it just at grace. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh, literally. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, For neither circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what counts. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He's saying they they want you to come under their rules. What they think it means to be a good Christian. A complete Christian. Now, this is going back, way back. Like, I, news, I don't know. But there was a, a Christian artist. I don't know that he's making music anymore. I, you know, I lost his career back in the 90s. But a guy by the name of Steve Taylor. I like Steve Taylor because a lot of his songs were, were very sarcastic. And as you know,
1: <laughs> I kind of lean that
0: way. And one of his better-known ones, and they were kind of comical songs, but they were, they were profound, too, was I Want to Be a Clone. It's a silly song, but it's pretty good. And let me just read some of this for you. He said, I'd gone through so much other stuff that walking down the aisle was tough. But now I know it's not enough. I want to be a clone. I asked the Lord, into my heart, they said that was the way to start, but now you've got to play the part. I want to be a clone. Be a clone and kiss conviction goodnight. Cloneliness is next to godliness, right? I'm grateful that they showed the way, because I could never know the way, to serve them on my own. I want to be a clone. They told me that I'd fall away unless I followed what they say. Who needs the Bible anyway? I want to be a clone. Their language, it was new to me, but Christianese, Got through to me. Now I can speak it fluently. I want to be a clone. Ah, uh, I kind of want to tell my friends and people about it. You know? What? You're still a babe. You have to grow. Give it 20 years or so. Because if you want to be one of his, you got to act like one of us. There's more to the song, but you get the idea. I once heard someone talking about the church that... They formally attended, and they said the reason why they left was because they treat people like projects. What they meant was they didn't really care about them as a person. It's, you're messed up. You need to look like this, so we're going to fix you. It's what we can call soft legalism. Now, you may say, what is that? We're going to divide it into two, hard legalism and soft legalism. What Paul's talking about throughout Galatians really is more hard legalism, but I think more times than not, our issue is soft legalism. Legalism, right, is setting up a set of rules. Hard legalism, what Paul's dealing with is, you are not saved unless you do this. That's what they were saying. Jesus and circumcision. Otherwise, you're not in legalism. That's why Paul comes out swinging. Soft legalism is saying, "If you're saved, but if you want to be a good Christian, a growing Christian, a sanctified Christian, here's your list. Do's and don'ts. That someone else comes up. They make it sound like it's from the Bible, but you dig deeply enough and you realize, no, it's just what they're saying makes a good Christian. That's soft legalism. Paul a little, takes a different approach. If you remember right when he's writing uh, in the Corinthians, one of the issues was eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. No one was saying that was an issue of salvation. They were just saying that the people who had come out of paganism and, and uh, idol worship, they're like, oh, I can't eat that. No, you know, if you're a good Christian, you wouldn't eat that because it was served to idols. Paul's saying, you know what? Those idols are nothing. They're just stone, made out of wood. They're nothing. Are you free to eat that meat? Yes, you are. You're free to do so. Should you eat that meat in front of someone who has an issue with it? No, you shouldn't. Put aside your freedom for the sake of the brother. You're going to ruin that brother over a piece of meat? Right? And then there's all these kinds of things that Soft legalism. That's where I think most of us have an issue with. Paul writes to the Romans uh, in uh, chapter 14. He says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, because he is, uh, he is weak, uh, He, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. You vegans out there, sorry. I'm joking. 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 That's a joke. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. He will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. He says, this is not an issue of salvation. So don't sit and judge of somebody. It's it's, it's a non-issue when it comes to someone's salvation. Why are you splitting over these things? Why are you causing such turmoil over these things? They're non-starters. But oftentimes, we can allow those issues from others to keep us to know the joy that we have in Christ, to know the freedom that we have in Christ, and, and feeling like God is doing this because of something someone else has laid on us. When I first came out of uh, out of seminary and I was candidating, that's what you do when you come out of seminary, you candidate at churches was a, a church in Northern California. That's where we're at right now, Northern California. And... I'm sitting at dinner with the search committee. Again, that's how they do it. And I'm looking at the menu. Hungry. Drove, I think, two and a half hours to get there in traffic. Okay. I'm looking over the menu. I don't know any of these people. They don't know me. That's why we're having dinner to find out a little bit about each other. And you know what? They had beard battered prawns on the menu. Oh, that sounded so good. And I thought, ah, let's see what everyone else orders first. And again, hopefully I'm not rubbing anybody the wrong way, but these were Southern Baptists. And I thought, I just spent two years with Southern Baptists in Missouri. And you don't, you know, mention the word beer in anything so it comes time to order here it comes back. they're sounding good but I don't know Max why don't you start
1: <laughs>
0: there goes that plant. so I quickly race through the menu I'll have the burger It'll be fine it's probably seven so good I sure showed got the French death. That's her thing. It was all the way around the table. I'm not lying. It was all the way around Okay, okay. comes to the last person. I'll have the beer, batter prawns. Man, you've got to have the prawns, man. Where did that problem rest? The people around the table? No. Rest it rested with me because I was so in fear of what they would think about me and my spirituality over some prawns. Just a silly illustration. But we do that all the time. pastor talked about a church where he was one of the elders, the eldership, and he was like the lead elder. And some of the elders felt like good, godly, sanctified parents will not let their children use iPods.
1: Say,
0: really? This is when you know Apple was still supporting iPods and things like that. The reason is because when they put those things in their ears and they're listening, you have no idea what they're listening to and you need to be shepherding your children. How dare you let your kids use iPods? We are going to not allow iPods in this church pastor in his own household but that's ridiculous he let his son have an iPhone the other elders found out he said we're gonna bring you and your son up on discipline and he said you know he didn't do this but I wish he would have he says I should do a sermon called "iPods in the Hands of an Angry God."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought, Why didn't we do that? That would have been perfect. I would have gotten the CD. <laughs> Paul has strong words for those who oppose grace. Look at 5:12. 5:12. This is where we get a little. You, you, you put on your maturity hats. Or, Whatever you know, hoodies, whatever. (laughs) He says, and we're just gonna cut to the chase here, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Really what he's saying? And I pardon for this? This is being recorded, huh? (laughs) Basically he's saying, I wish they would just cut it off. That's strong language. He says, they want you to be circumcised. I just wish they would just mutilate themselves. He's mad because they're messing with the gospel. This is hard legalism that he's dealing with. That's why he uses such strong terms. Well, thirdly, so Godward, right? What's God thinking about us and what we imagine that he's, what others put place on us. And finally, inward, yourself, myself. We keep ourselves from truly knowing this new life we have that we're keeping us from being alive and free in Christ. Often we wrestle internally with our own self-imposed regulations and our own sinfulness. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher and doctor from a few gener- couple generations ago, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. Fantastic book. But he, he describes in there what we go through in spiritual depression. He basically he says, you start going down this downward spiral of depression, depression, depression. And then you realize it, you know that you are, you're, you're, you're getting more and more inwardly on yourself. And he says, so many of us, the response that we have to that is, I'm going to do better. What normally happens when you say, I'm going to do better. Yeah. You fail at that, don't you? And what happens when you fail at that? Boom, 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 boom. You just go further and further down. Because you fail, and you fail, and you're trying to pick yourself back up. Instead of turning to Christ, going back to the cross where, where we should take that, we just keep going down further and further Here's some homework for you. You know know that I'm a teacher. So here's your homework for this week. Don't read your Bible all week. I know some of you are. (laughs) Some of you are not ready to walk out, I know. Some of you are cringing, cringing not because it is such a precious time for you, but because it is something you feel you must do. There's a difference, a huge difference in those two things. Or possibly you feel that God is going to be angry with you or that you are unspiritual in some way. Now, having said that, keep reading your Bibles. We're providing you time with that during this week to do so. I only say that to illustrate a point, that sometimes we pursue spiritual pursuits, good things, not because we... we, love those things and they help us grow we do them simply so that we can feel good about ourselves that we've done our spiritual duty there is a difference right paul tells us in romans 8 1 therefore having seven (coughs) chapters worth of solid solid doctrine of our standing in Christ, for though, there is, there, therefore there is now, 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 no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Doesn't say there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who may not. <laughs> right? There's nothing. Are you in Christ Jesus? If you can say yes, there's, you're, there's no condemnation. End of story. Full stop. I read it for you this morning before the throne of God when Satan tempts me to despair and tell me of the guilt within. Before God there is no guilt. In the ultimate sense. As far as your salvation because you are free indeed from the guilt of your sin. Now some of you if you've been tracking with me for the last 45, 50 minutes. You may be saying, Max, are you saying that we don't have to obey? That's what some of you are thinking, aren't you? I hope that's what you're thinking. There, that there's no consequences to our disobedience? Of course there are. God is not mocked right? Of course there's consequences to your sin. Of course, there's consequences when you don't obey. God's God's way is the best way to be human. Did you realize that? He created you. He created me. He designed us. Don't you think that he would know the best way for us to live as human? Of course he does. I don't know if I should admit this or not, but uh, one of my favorite comedies uh, is a Coen Brothers movie called Raising Arizona. <laughs> and the lead in it, uh, played by Nicolas Cage, one time where he actually acted, um, <laughs> is his H.I. H.I. McDonnell, or Hi. And he's in jail because he's a two-bit criminal, and that's where he spent most of his life. And as he's there with one of his, his jailmates thinking about other things, uh, his cellmate says, you just hear it kind of in the background, he says, And when there was no meat, we ate fowl. And when there was no fowl, we ate crawdad. And when there was no crawdad to be found, we ate sand. And he says, You ate what? He said, We ate sand. Sand? That's right. Now, can you eat sand? Now, when I was growing up, my mother said, I shouldn't eat sand. But I can. But that's not particularly wise, is it? I ate some yesterday when we were playing volleyball. I don't know if you know that, but that first spill I took, I was had a lot of grit going on for about a half an hour. It's not good for you. I'm free to do so, but it's not good for me. Kind of like when I was talking about the fish and the fish ball. We actually have had fish before. We had a big tank and we had some experiences with it, with my wife sacrificing fish that should not have been killed. <laughs> but there were some. I remember waking up in the morning, walking by this big fish tank, with about you know, 30 to 50 fish, and you'd walk by and there was a fish on the ground. No fish on the boat. That's weird.
1: <laughs> Kids, did you put the fish out of? It? No,
0: no, Okay. I mean, it's dead. And then the next day, boom, boom. There's two more. What's going on with these fish? You know what they were doing? They were just jumping out.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm free. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Can they, were they free to jump out? Yes, they were. Until we put something over them to keep them from doing that. (laughs) Apparently we got a, you know, a dose of dumb fish. (laughs) (laughs) They were free to do so, but there were consequences of it. Are we free to disobey? Yeah, we are. We're still children of God. But there are consequences to our sin. And I would say the chief consequence is a break or a breach in your enjoyment of your relationship with Christ. See, that's where we get it backwards. We think, I've disobeyed, God's angry. No, what's happened is we've disobeyed, so we have removed ourselves. We've distanced ourselves from the enjoyment of the relationship with Christ. He hasn't moved, he hasn't changed his affection for you, but you, I, when we have chosen something other than Christ, we have distanced ourselves from the enjoyment of that relationship. His love is diminished or taken away, but the enjoyment of that love is hindered. Our relationship with God is grace-based, Always has been, always will be. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been accused of saying that sinning doesn't matter like some of you were starting to accuse me of a few moments ago in your mind? Has anyone ever accused you that you believe that once you just go ahead and sin because it's all about grace anyway? You should be accused of that every once in a while. In Romans 6, this is what Paul raises. Where are you guys in Romans right now? In 8? Okay, so you guys are going to know this inside out, or backwards, yeah. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Now, I know you know the response, but Paul raises the question, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase or grace may abound? Why does he ask the question? Why does he put it in writing? This is where you can participate. It's the natural, logical assumption. He knows that's what they're thinking. He says, you guys read the first five chapters. Your conclusion is going to be, Paul, you're saying it doesn't matter. Now, he's going to answer, he says, may it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? And he says, but at least you're tracking with me. You're understanding that are we really that much in grace that it seems like you're saying that disobedience doesn't matter? Saw the new Batman recently. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but we went and saw it with a bunch of people. Went up with someone who had never seen a Batman movie. I'm like, oh, it's probably not the first one you should see. But afterwards, we were talking about it. I said, so hey, I, I know it was a hard PG-13, but. Uh, What did you think? This was their response. For those of you who have seen it will know what I'm talking about. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't tell who was good and who was bad. And I said, yes! (laughs) That's the whole point of the movie! You got it! That's what Paul said. He said, if you understand grace, and living free, and free to stop trying to earn God's love, then you might be accused every once in a while of saying that sin doesn't matter or that disobedience doesn't matter. You get it. Does it matter? Yes. But not in terms of God turning his back on you. It does matter consequences. It does matter that you won't enjoy that relationship as you can. But if we embrace grace and live in it, we'll be misunderstood as Paul was. What would the body of Christ, whether it's the entire body of Christ or the youth group, but what would the, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, look like if we actually lived this way? I don't much care for sappy, trite Christian music. By the way, none of what we have sung this we would qualify for that. One that comes to mind, which I don't know if you guys sing it, if you do. But there was, there was an old Christian song that made the rounds for quite a few years that said, I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you. For the one who knows me best loves me most.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I used to hate that song. Oh man, it's so surfacey. But you know what? I have to admit it. I kind of like it now. Because it's true. Really, at its heart, it's true. That because I am loved by my Heavenly Father, and that will not diminish, even when I've had a bad day, you know, I can I can love you. You can love me. Not because we're hitting it down of the park all the time, but I can love you even... When you're having a bad day, having a bad week, having a bad month, <laughs> Because I've been shown love at my worst. I can love you too. Some of you here this evening have never really encountered a loving Christ. Because you're still trying to earn it. You just will not accept that if the sun makes you free, you are free indeed, and it's grace-based. You're still trying to work it out on your own. And I I want to implore you, to to encourage you to come as you are empty-handed. Come broken. Come with your sin. He will not cast you out. If you are a Christian, and walking with Christ for years or for a week, stop trying to earn God's love. You have it. He loved you when you were still in your sin, right? Do you think that's diminished? You know this passage or you're coming up to it soon. Romans 8, beginning in verse 35. (coughs) Who will separate us from the love of Christ? The immediate answer is no one, but Paul's not going to give us any wiggle room. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, Things that many Christians, right? External things that would have faced then. Some Christians today face these things. Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were being considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor Nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing. That includes you, Christian, and your sin. Can separate us from the love of God. Why? Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's based on Christ, not your performance today or tomorrow. So stop trying start loving start living that's better. our heavenly father we thank you that you call us to yourself you make us your children you've called us out of darkness into light Lord the, the love which you drew us to yourself with is the love that you continue to have for us and will forever have for us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would show us indeed where we have stepped away. We have chosen something other than Christ. Substituted his life for something else that we might return, that we might again enjoy the love you have for us in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.